The swamp without a still is just a tent. A martini without olives doesn't quite make it. And Mash Minute is intended for mature audiences. Put on your headphones. Listen for the tone of your favorite podcast, Mash Minute. Well, it's a minute-by-minute detailed analysis. Of the movie without which the series wouldn't exist. Megan and Tierney, and guest will make three. Goddamn Army, MASH Minute. Welcome back to MASH Minute, the podcast analyzing the film MASH one minute at a time. I'm Tierney Steele, and I'm lonely without my Megan. But I will bug her for her thoughts on these minutes. I'm today very excited to hear the thoughts on this minute of my guest. Yep. Talk about me, right? Uh, yes, please. Okay, I'm Paul Francis Sullivan. I'm a podcaster and, um, and TV producer and filmmaker and comedian and written magazine stuff. And I've done a lot of stuff in my life. I directed the independent feature film called I'll Believe You, which saw the inside of a few movie theaters in 2007. I'm not doing a minute-by-minute podcast on that film, but uh, I will be doing one on Bull Durham soon. And I'm also the host of the Lockdown MLB podcast. So, um, and also producer of the Real Crime Profile podcast on the Wondery Network. So I have my fingers in a lot of pies. Well, you have one less thing to keep track of, which is providing me with baseball commentary throughout the day. Because now that the season's over, we can, well, we're still going to talk about baseball all the time, but not at quite that clip. I, I found doing them in the off-season to be more fun because you could be more creative with the shows and you could cover some different grounds. You could, I'm doing a lot of stuff on uniforms and favorite games of this last decade. And I think in the off-season when you need it the most is because you've lost that daily companion of a baseball. Yeah. So I've, if I had to stop podcasting about baseball either in the off-season or during the season, I would my druthers would be to stop during the season and then mm-hmm. do the podcast in the off-season. Because during the season, if you want baseball fixed, turn on a game you know <laughs> but in the off season god like you're, you're shoveling yep. snow and this is when i used to do 365 a year the idea was yeah it's cold it's you, know, you miss baseball and you know what if you need it i'm there you know i don't i never expected anyone to listen yep. every day but i did like it some people say yeah that's i need to hear someone talk about baseball for a little bit and uh, <laughs> that was that was i always have fun in the off season and that's you that's me that's me yeah. but we're not talking baseball we're talking football Football. Football? Yeah, wrong sport. Instead of wrong show, we have wrong sport entirely. Uh, I realized I did not introduce the last minute. Whoops. Today we're talking about minute 104, which is crazy, which begins with Hammond accusing the MASH team of doing something to Smith, and it ends with Blake trying to hear what Hammond is yelling at him from across the field. Yep. There we go. I feel much more official now. So there's there's an element here is that, you know, Superbug is laid out. He's drugged out. And Hammond says, you guys pulled something. And <laughs> Radar is terrified. And he's sitting there. And number 88, who we learn later is, is a smidge racist as well, unloads a mouthful of water on him. And there's a wonderful zoom in of Gary Berghoff as if to say, um, am I supposed to do something here? Do it. Here's a question I have, though, about this moment, because I always, my heart always sinks a little in this. Like It's very funny, but it's like, oh, they did it to Radar. 
Why would you do this to Radar? But who am I reacting to? Am I reacting to movie Radar? Or am I reacting to TV show Radar? Because those are two very different characters. They're both played by Gary Berghoff. They're both the same character. But TV show Radar is a lot cuter, a lot more cuddly, a lot more naive. He's kind of the audience surrogate that he's not a doctor. He is the person that we can relate to in the show. And movie Radar is a little more mysterious. He's kind of the, I call him the the shadow commanding officer, that he's kind of the, mm-hmm. the weird guy who can hear helicopters that other people can't and is always one step ahead of Blake, but also can, in there for a pinch if they need something like a microphone under Margaret's bed while mm-hmm. she's stopping Frank or to distract Vollmer before they lift. Exactly. Or to pull blood from Henry Blake when they run out of... So he's kind of the shadow... I call him the shadow commanding officer, which is not his character at all in the TV show. That he's like this sweet, naive character who has a teddy bear, uh, which you pointed out, Big Bird's teddy bear was radar, which is wonderful. (laughs) But are we going, oh, because we look at him and see the character from the TV show. And how much of this film do we attach to in terms of, you know, Henry and Father Mulcahy and all the characters? Are we superimposing our experience from the TV show onto the movie, like retroactively to the movie? And how much of it is truly enjoying a wonderful performance by Roger Bowen and Rene Auberginois is... I I love Rene Auberginois in this film. I think he's Mm -hmm. fantastic. And Gary Burkhoff is great in the film but are we bringing the baggage from the tv show with us in this i am literally sitting on the edge of my chair wondering if i'm going to say this because i am still working out if i believe it okay do i like movie radar better than tv radar that seems crazy that seems like a crazy thing to say i know but and there's so much good stuff in the tv show but like as a summed up character who T- movie radar has a lot of what i love about tv radar yeah yeah oh i don't know i don't it's a it's a challenge it's a challenge and maybe you don't know the answer right away and skipping ahead i realized what a wasted opportunity it was to not have leslie on the in the show because the final shot of the film before they do the montage of the cast mm-hmm. is leslie and radar exchanging a look with an oblivious blake And Radar gives the Hawkeye whistle. But the look that Leslie and Radar give each other is basically, we're running this camp, aren't we? (laughs) I'll take care of his emotional needs. You take care of the camp. He'll take all the credit. I'm going back to his tent. (laughs) And Radar knows what the score is, which is why he gets the Hawkeye whistle at the end. Mm -hmm. So he's now a little bit of Blake and now a little bit of Hawkeye at the end. It's a much more, he's a much more mysterious character in the film. And yeah. he's a little skin. He's a little skinnier too. Like he's a little pudgier on TV. So he's a little. He looks a lot younger. And the thing is, if you told me this man was hiding a teddy bear in his Footlocker, no, no way. I I don't know. Not sleeping with it. Not having it in his bed. Hidden. No. No, this radar doesn't have a teddy bear. This radar is taking care of the, is running the camp, basically. And of course, Volmer wants to be radar. Yeah. You know, another character didn't make it the show. Volmer wants to be radar and probably would look up to Burns and to Houlihan. But he's always two steps behind radar. You know, I gave everything That's- to radar. He couldn't, he, I said it would have been interesting to see the Volmer Houlihan relationship. Yeah. Because once Burns leaves, 
But she goes, but she goes to Duke and then she relaxes. And oh, that's what I, I forgot to mention yesterday was our th- talking about the fact that she stays, that she says, resign my commission, but leaves the tent and obviously doesn't. And then she's having sex with Duke and she's head cheerleader and she's kind of ditzy, but she's still head nurse. And so it was like, is this, uh, as I put it, is this the Sandra D in Greece situation? Like, did she walk out of that tent and be like, I need to completely change my approach here? Maybe. Or maybe when she realized, you know, what am I going to do? I've been exposed as the sexual being, both with screwing Frank and in the shower. Is she like, well, am I? The, you know, uh, Trapper and, and Hawkeye were gone, and she probably realized yeah. Duke was the better looking of the three of them anyway. And uh, maybe she was like, well, let's let's try this out. I mean, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Have you always made the smartest decisions in terms of the libido? I have not. <laughs> and one of the last times you see her skipping ahead is in the OR where she looks kind of devastated that she's going to lose Duke. Oh, we will get there. I have a lot of feelings. <laughs> well, there you go. Okay, but, but meanwhile, Radar is still covered in spit. <laughs> meanwhile! <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the locker room. <laughs> but it is amazing that they did the movie, and the movie was a very big hit. And when they created the TV show, that they brought in people who did not look like their counterparts and did not act like their counterparts. Alan Alda and Wayne Rogers look and sound nothing like Donald Sutherland and Elliot Gould. Roger Bowen looks and sounds nothing like McLean Stevenson. I just realized I'm nodding and that doesn't work on a podcast. Yes, continue. <laughs> Larry, Larry Linville looks nothing like... Robert Duval and each one of them I, I much prefer Larry Linville's Frank Burns to Duval's with du, nothing against Duval obviously he's a brilliant actor but he almost was too serious a character in a comedy although he did a great line I'm used to it but McLean Stevenson's Blake and Roger Bowen's Blake are both wonderful in their own way Roger Bowen just doesn't want any response he just doesn't want anything to do he just wants to fish and move on with it and there is an earnestness and slightly more goofiness to McLean Stevenson's mm-hmm. uh, Blake like, you know, Linville's Burns is just, I think, a comic tour de force. Uh, but it's amazing that, you know, all the looks and sounds nothing like Sutherland. And he's so great as Hawkeye, but Sutherland is great as Hawkeye. It's like two different people like coming at this character from completely different angles. It's like, you know, James Earl Jones and Denzel Washington were both great playing the same character in Fences. But it's so wild that, like, they did a spinoff of a, sh- of a movie and made no attempt to replicate it in one way and what they 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 created became more well known than the movie which is surreal it's bizarre in so many ways it's almost like they doubled their bet oh there you go <laughs> I do like Roger Bowen's performance as Blake. I do like his obliviousness. I do look, he looks like a taller, older radar in some shots. But I remember an interview with Harry Shear. Uh, and if I mentioned this on my other episode, forgive me, I can't remember if I mentioned this or not, where he was talking about performers that he worked with. And he mentioned Roger Bowen, who he had done improv and live performance with. And he said, he's an insane genius, Roger Bowen. Uh, I think Robert Altman tapped into some of that in this character. Who Roger didn't have a lot of other major movie roles other than this. And he died the day after McLean Stevenson died. Both Henry Blakes died within 36 hours of each other, which is uh, which is weird. I didn't mean to bring yeah. death into this. 
No, and you definitely didn't mention it because I would have remembered Roger Bowen being called an insane genius. And by the way, G. Wood, who plays uh, General Hammond, who's just wonderful, and he plays General Hammond in the pilot yeah. episode, He there's a connection with another MASH character that he was one of the psychiatrists that Harold sees in Harold and Maud, where uh, Bud Court is in that. And he was the one who basically said the idea of Harold sleeping with Maud makes him want to throw up. But uh, yeah, that was G. Wood. Right now, G. Wood and Roger Bowen are doubling the bet. Yep. And uh, radar, I, can't, I get totally radar can't, can't get out of there fast enough. Yeah, a humiliated and wet radar turns and follows Blake out. Yeah, he's he's doing the little thing I do where it's like, I'm not running. I'm not running. I'm just walking real fast. <laughs> yeah. And the game resumes and I had promised to track down the music Yep. Shazam identifies this as the football game by Johnny Mandel from MASH. Well, there you go. I've so, heard it somewhere. Oh, yeah. I've heard that march somewhere else. And I, me- I know you had mentioned in a previous minute that this is made to sort of parody the march of news, you know, news on the march, yeah. or like with the, the, the newsreels of sporting events. I believe you could see Johnny Unitas in the background of the 325th Evac team, that that's Baltimore... Colts great Johnny Unitas is one of the football players. I think you see him smoking pot during one of the scenes, but he is one of the great football players of all time, and I think that that's I think that's him behind Hammond. Someone just pointed that out, and it blew my mind. <laughs> Johnny Unitas. That's the one good thing about recording these so close to uh, to release is that people will find stuff that I did not know. <laughs> so we have a. I was trying to come up with a uh, another name for uh, that would be less controversial for Doctor Jones, and I, I thought of one because you know he's a he's a running back and he's a football player, but the the his nickname is so racist that I said I think we should have a non problematic name. We should call him by a non-problematic name. And you were saying Dr. Jones. That, of course, makes me think of Indiana Jones. So I, I, it hit me today. You know, there's a San Francisco connection to it, too, a football a running back connection. His name is, you know, Oliver Harmon Jones. But let's drop the Harmon and just go by initials. So I'm just going to call him <gasps> OJ. No. I'm going to call him OJ the whole time. I think there's nothing problematic about oh that. Oh, my God. So OJ catches it. Uh, OJ was 32, <laughs> not 24. But, you know, so OJ is running. Said, who is that? Who is that guy? He's like he's like a he's like a Bronco, if you will, just running past everyone here. God. Is it, did I did I did I was that was that wrong? Am I should I not have said anything? So when OJ is is running and my poor Ollie, my poor Ollie Jones. No, no, it's got OJ. Come on, it's, it's called, you know, like it's orange. We call him the Juice, and he's sort of he's he's the Juice is running, and you know, he said, "Who is that number twenty four? Who is he? He wasn't in the game in the first half." As if he remembered every player yeah. in there. <laughs> He's hysterical. Hammond is hysterical at this point. I will say the uh, evac player has no problem saying Jones's nickname. Yeah. And then he gets there and he pushes off one of the tacklers as he's clearly of another, you know, in another league. And it's like, you know, and that guy, let me tell you, OJ just kills him. He just slashes through it. And, and, uh, oh, so, I'm sorry. Is, that, is that something wrong? And uh, he scores the touchdown. 
by the way, you'll notice during the cheering, Boone's posture, he's, his hands are in his pocket. He looks like Harold at this point. I mean, he is so, he's, he's, his shoulders are a little slumped. Everyone's, you know, Mulcahy is waving the flag and is so happy. Blake is jumping up and down, thrilled. Nako and all of them are going bananas back there. And Margaret is going, you see, uh, 28's Hawkeye, right? Oh God, I haven't. Well, you see, they're all, they're all sharing and everything like that. And then uh, the guy in the vac team says, "Hey, that's OJ." And then you know, Hammond says, "OJ who?" And he says, "OJ, yeah, they're the juice. He's uh, he's gonna be tough to stop too." I'm gonna ignore you. No. Um. Yes, Hawkeye is number twenty-eight. That's what we were talking about, right? <laughs> Let the record show I'm not proud of myself right now. <laughs> nope. 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 I'm leaving it in. I love the the mash team. Like when they're starting, like is he going to work? Is he working? And he cuts through, and then the mash. I I, I mean, I love Rene Auberjonois. He's he's a national treasure. And as I pointed out on the the post up award, is directly descended from one of Napoleon's generals and at one point brother in law who served as the leader of. I think it was the city-state of Milan, um, one of the places that Napoleon conquered and later uh, was beheaded by the uh, the mobs. But his descendant grew up to be wonderful character actor René Auberginois. <laughs> so it was all worth it. Who has the most French name in the history of everything that's Frenched. <laughs> even, I, would, I would say even more than Gerard Depardieu. When you try to think of a great French name, uh, René Aubergenois, that's uh, pretty amazing. And Henry is just loving it. He's like, I'm, it's, it's going to work. It's going to work. And Sidemen, is that who it is, who, the, who sings uh, Suicide is Painless? Yes. Um, he's, yes. Trying to, he's trying to get Boone into it, kind of shaking his arm a little bit. But he just, he's, not, he's not excited. And he says, yeah, that's OJ. And then he, uh, he identifies who he is. And you know, he yells over, you brought yourself a ringer, huh? Such a great voice. She was amazing voice. Oh, yes. I'm obsessed with the way he says, football? I'm not even doing it justice, and I've done it a million times. Yeah, he just, every line, even the ones that make me angry, is so well delivered. Yeah, and he, yeah, he's just, he's a great, that guy. Yeah, he, he just, he, like all good films with, yeah, and you'll, you'll see that Bull Durham is like this, that a film that doesn't waste characters, that, uh, you know, if, if you're only in a few scenes, they, you know, make it memorable. You know, and General Hammond, uh, this is the way to, you know, get back at the insanity of, you know, your authority figures is beat them at football. And Nako, Nako is just, she just can't have it. I mean, like, she's just, at one point she stops cheering, she's just laughing. She's just having it, you know. And Storch is going crazy, Leslie's going crazy, but Nako is like, man, this is, we're, we're, this is all is well in the world. <laughs> Everything's gonna be okay. We've already asked you what you think of the movie MASH. Yeah. You're kind of a fan. So I will ask you, I know, obviously, baseball is your forte. Yeah. Do you have any go-to football scenes or movies other than this one? Uh, the Longest Yard is a, a really funny movie. Uh, the original Longest Yard with Burt Reynolds and with Eddie Albert and a great Use of Richard Keel, who was later Jaws and Spy Love Me and Moonraker, uh, and he's in this film. He's credited as Dick Keel, which is uh, an interesting name. But during the big football scene at the end, when he hits the player super hard, and like about five people say in a row, I think he broke his. <laughs> And the fact that Burt Reynolds was a football player in college, and so he did those scenes. And so you see, it's Burt Reynolds when he goes back to pass. I mean, it's it's really wonderful. It's a it's a you know it's 
the, the opening of the film is has a scene that's more misogynistic than any scene in this <laughs> film. And you kind of have to go, oh boy, the 70s were really awful. But as a football movie, it was really something. And I'm usually, I'm tough on sports movies because the whole idea of getting into sports is you're watching a game where even the participants don't know how it's going to end. Like this year's World Series was just bananas. You know, the Astros were eight outs away from winning the World Series and then suddenly they collapsed in the last three innings and suddenly Washington wins and I love when that sort of thing happened also you know in football like there was that one year where the Seahawks threw a pass into the end oh, zone yeah. and the Patriots intercepted it and I think it created one of the great YouTube sports moments because everyone had reaction videos and all the Seahawks fans were dancing around and then suddenly there's an interception and they all collapsed and all the Patriots fans are sitting slumped in their couches suddenly jumped up you know that's the sort of thing that makes sports so wonderful and when it's scripted it's not as interesting to me which is why films that focus on the drama other than the game itself are the ones that tend to survive. You know, I mean, I'm thinking of other football films, like, I don't know, I mean, Rudy, I guess, was okay. I didn't, it didn't, wasn't really my thing. You know, I'm, I'm really tough on sports films, because I'd rather watch yeah. sports. I've already plugged Rudy enough. I will tell you that the grandfather who went to Notre Dame and then Indiana and converted and the whole nine yards. Yeah. You know my last name. Yeah. My grandfather's name was Richard. He went by Dick. That man signed everything as Dick Steele his entire life. Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to let you digest that fact. I am going to throw it way back to, God, probably the first movie I ever saw. I have always appreciated the football scene in Disney's Robin Hood, the animated version. <laughs> After the archery tournament, when Lady Cluck runs away and they play, and this is this was one of the first times I remember years later finding out that they're playing the fight song of, they're playing on Wisconsin when she's actually like tackling and pushing guys out of the way and making her escape. At some point in that scene, they also play apparently fight on the University of Southern California fight song. And so that's the scene that made me realize like, oh, all this music that you hear that is just football music, parade music in your brain. These are actual songs. Every one of these corresponds to something. Right. Also, Lady Cluck is amazing. <laughs> then then we'll throw in the football scene in Flash Gordon. If we're going to go there, then we might as well do that. <laughs> that was my last thought, and it was because it was like, well, I can't ask you what I usually ask my guests at this point because you've already been on this show, so thank you so, so much for coming back. Oh, absolutely. This was, this was great, and, I, and I'm sorry Megan couldn't be here, but it was her loss. And uh, when you listen to the Bull Durham Minute, which is going to be premiering in January, I'm doing the first episode solo, but the second episode, and the third episode will feature a certain Tierney Steele, who will be actually talking about the first three minutes. I'm, I'm going to ask your thoughts on all three minutes in those episodes. So Okay, good, because, you know, I have eight pages of notes for those first 60 seconds. That's right. Well, so that include the Orion Pictures logo and the Criterion Collection logo. So I have two sentences of notes for minute one, so I think we'll be okay. <laughs> perfect, perfect. All right, well, we... I will return. Megan will return. Sully, we always see you around online. I love your contributions to the MASH Minute post-up listeners ward. So this has been a delight to get to talk more MASH with you. Absolutely. All right. Well, hey, uh, listen to the show. This was, this was fun. <laughs>